everyone. Welcome to the Defiant Podcast. The internet of money is being built with blockchain technology and without banks. We call it DeFi, short for decentralized finance. And this is where you can hear the builders and users of this cutting edge world tell their stories firsthand. I'm your host, Camila Russo. In today's episode, I interview Preston Van Loon. Preston has been leading one of the main teams building ETH 2.0 for the past three years. On top of that, he founded a DeFi project which bundles the entire crypto market cap in one token to allow anyone to easily buy something like a crypto index. We talk about how the desire to make a bigger impact inspired him to leave his job as a Google engineer and work in crypto full-time, and how it was a spontaneous donation via Twitter from Vitalik Buterin, what pushed him to finally make the jump, what's now famously known as Vitalik's YOLO tweet. Preston talks about the latest in ETH2. He says Ethereum's big migration into a more scalable chain is only about six months away. He says Ethereum may be at a disadvantage relative to other layer ones who are launching with the more scalable technologies but he also believes it will be hard for other chains to build the community Ethereum has faster than Ethereum will upgrade. He talks about why he found the time to start Cryptex with its TCAP token. He explains how the fully collateralized token works, how traders can mint it, add liquidity, even yield farm it, but that ultimately the main goal is to give people who are interested in buying cryptocurrencies but who may not know the difference among all the thousands of tokens out there to simply get exposure to everything. He also said they're not stopping with TCAP and that more tokenized indices are coming up. Before we get to it, here's a word about our sponsors. Kyber's Dynamic Market Maker, or DMM, is the first decentralized exchange designed to react to market conditions to optimize fees maximize returns, and provide extremely high capital efficiency for liquidity providers. It aims to be a game changer for DeFi. Depositing tokens to earn fees is also fast and simple, with this liquidity easily accessible by dApps, aggregators, or other users. Visit dmm.exchange now. Don't let high gas costs keep you out of Ethereum. At Balancer, you can trade all you want and get most of the gas costs back in your pocket. In their new BAL for Gas campaign, traders are receiving six figures worth of BAL tokens every week. And with V2 just around the corner, Balancer is becoming the one-stop shop for DeFi liquidity. Balancer V2 brings stable pools and weighted pools tightly integrated under a single protocol, flash loans, lending via asset managers, and much more. Check it out at balancer.finance. Check out Kraken, where you can earn additional rewards by staking some of your favorite DeFi assets. With more than 1 billion in crypto staked, including 350,000 ETH, Kraken has paid out 27 million worth of rewards to their clients. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% annually. Sign up today at kraken.com and start earning some of the most popular DeFi assets, including Polkadot, Uniswap, Aave, and more. Ensign provides an easy way to build, scale, and monetize DeFi investment strategies. If high gas prices are shutting you out of DeFi, fear not. Ensign is now running a gas subsidy program. The app makes it easy for investors to pull together on strategies lowering costs. The Ensign interface allows anyone to trade, lend, deposit to AMM pools, farm, stake, and more. It is a non-custodial solution and allows for real-time reporting, security, and transparency. Sign up today on Enzyme.finance. Experience DeFi. Deposit, earn, and borrow on Aave. Aave is a decentralized, open-source, and non-custodial liquidity protocol to earn interest on deposits and borrow assets. Deposit and start earning interest in real-time directly in your wallet, and swap any of your deposited assets at any time to get some of the best deals on the market. Aave protocol liquidity pools are now available on Ethereum and on the sidechain Polygon. Head over to app.ave.com to get started today. 
Okay, uh, yay, here we are with Preston Van Loon. Preston, uh, welcome to the Defiant Podcast. It's great to have you. Hey, great to be here. Yay. Um, okay, so uh, Preston is the co-founder of Prismatic Labs, uh, which is one of the core teams building ETH 2.0. And he's also a co-founder of Cryptex, which is making a token which represents total crypto market cap. Um, so really interesting stuff. We will, of course, get into both of those projects. But as always, let's start with you. Um, I'd love to know, well, yeah, get to know uh, your, your background, um, how you got into crypto, uh, what led you to uh, co-found Prismatic Labs, and then uh, we'll get into Cryptex as well. So let's start from the beginning. All right, the beginning. Um, so I'm, I'm Preston Van Loon. I'm a, a career software engineer um, interested in, in tackling high impact and difficult problems. So I was uh, working at Google for some time and in uh, uh, 2017, I was introduced to, to Ethereum. And it was really the first time I had taken blockchain seriously and really looked at, at what it was and what it could be used for. I'd heard of, I'd heard of Bitcoin, but it uh, didn't seem as interesting to me. Uh, I saw this just a, a bubble thing, price goes up and down and didn't seem to really fulfill um, some of its core goals of being peer-to-peer -peer money. So looking at Ethereum, where it's really more of an application platform and, and really has a lot more use cases than just peer-to-peer just -peer money uh, or sound money or however you want to think of, of Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, 2017, this was the time, uh, last, I guess last market cycle, I, ICO craze, things were going crazy. Uh, crypto kitties, stuff like that. We're seeing the blockchain uh, Ethereum really max out its throughput. Um, really, I think for the first time in 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 such a way with all this public activity. And I said, you know, wow, this is really a really interesting technology, but it's actually not quite ready yet for the the level of of activity that's getting right. It's it's if crypto kitties the single. Uh, we, you know, we at the time like to blame them for their success. If a single application can really cripple the throughput of Ethereum, well, it really has a long way to go. So I started trying to get involved, just trying to see how can I contribute to open source technology. It's really a fulfilling thing to do. And I found that um, there's this effort uh, called sharding that can take Ethereum and split it up into multiple independent shards that sort of increase the capacity by the number of shards that you have. And I saw that it wasn't quite, I mean, the specification, a specification was kind of there, but no one was really making substantial progress. I met Raul Jordan online. He and I were asking the same questions around the same time of why is nobody building this and who wants to build it with me? So. We linked up a couple of days later in New York City and said, you seem like a cool person and you think I'm a cool person. You know, it's kind of like a, like a first date kind of, you know, <laughs> so, uh, but we went from there. We said, you know what, this is a really great opportunity. We're both looking for hungry for some high impact work and, and let's just start building it and see what happens. We ended up getting a great group of people asking by asking around on Reddit and and in in the uh, Go Ethereum forums and things like that. Um, and since then, we've we've just uh, you know we 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 thought okay, this will be a cool moonlight project and we'll do it just for fun. But it started to we started to see opportunities where it could be grant funded. And so we started to receive grants, and we said, "Wow, this is crazy." Uh, I'm really interested in it, but it it wasn't quite enough to to leave Google. You know, Google's a pretty pretty heavy anchor to to be moved from. Uh, but towards the end of, of 2018, we had been working on it for about a year and taking it very seriously and really really producing content and and showing the community we're serious about it. And I think one of the big driving factors was. Um, 
we were talking on, on Twitter as, as we do, uh, people are complaining what's taking so long. And I said, well, you know, we are all mostly at Prismatic Labs working on a part-time. We still have full-time jobs because we're not, we're not crypto rich or anything like that. We just want to work on it. And, um, and I was making dinner and then I, I start, my phone starts blowing up and I see this tweet from Vitalik that he has sent us a uh, thousand ether, which was around a hundred thousand dollars at the time. And it was just the word YOLO uh, in the tweet. And it was kind of like, now like a really famous thing that he, he just sent us like this, you know, crazy amount of, I don't even know what it's worth now, but but that was a huge signal of support from from Vitalik, the you know the founder of Ethereum and, and and the community in general that they would we were getting these grants. That was just like I I remember kind of being on Twitter at the time and and seeing Vitalik do this like it, it just completely um, blew up like that Yolo yeah. tweet I, I think I don't know it's it's a kind of like been um in in kind of the 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 meme uh like uh -huh. a hall of fame <laughs> i guess yeah. uh, by now um but yeah like he he gave prismatic labs a thousand eth and like a couple of other projects working on eth 2.0 uh other like a thousand or so eth or something around that magnitude um and was that kind of like the like the final kind of push to to leave uh, leave Google. Yeah, at, at at that point, with the combination of the grants from the community, like random donations, uh, uh, the uh, um, Ethereum Foundation starting to give us substantial grants, and there was also the Ethereum Community Fund, and then this final push, you know, from from Vitalik. Um, I stuck around Google for just a few more months. I think the the yellow grant was in October. Um, I stuck around to the year end to be eligible for, you know, Google's year end bonus. Yeah. Um, but as soon as that was, I was out the door, you know, I was, I would think I was out the door as soon as I saw that happen, but I mm -hmm. kind of had to stick around and finish out a few things. Right. Uh, and we've been working full time ever since the beginning of 2019. Um, so two full, basically two, two years at this point. And it's been just an incredible journey building ETH2, very fulfilling as well. Um, okay, so definitely want to know more about the latest on ETH2, but just um, uh, to dive a little bit on on just like your transition from uh, Google to a full-time crypto. Um, first, like what um, what inspired you to to leave like this job that I guess like most software engineers would kill for? Uh, like what was it about like um, like open source or or Ethereum or crypto that like really inspired you? Yeah, I love this question because I thought Google, you know, was really kind of an, an end goal for me. I got there and I said, I'm going to stick around here for, for a really long time. The longest job I had was a year and a half or two years, something like that. Pretty common in tech. Um, but it at the time, Google was maybe... 70,000, 80,000 current employees, something like that. I think it's maybe like a quarter million now. Some, some create, they've grown significantly. And when you, when you get to that kind of scale, and I was working on ads, which are not that interesting of a problem. But when you get to that scale, you stop feeling like, like you're making a big splash. You more feel like you're sort of a, a, a cog in this great machine. Um, the analogy I, I had conveyed to some people at the time is that I felt like I was working on the Titanic, this great massive ship, uh, but I was like redesigning the doorknobs, which already worked and they were fine. And the ones I had replaced them with were much better, uh, let's say more efficient doorknobs, right? But, but it didn't really feel like it was high impact, right? Where something like building ETH2, which is, seems like an incredible and global impact, uh, that was just extremely attractive. Um, it was just, yeah, I mean, looking at that just from the giving an open source and, and working with a lot of, you know, new people, smart people and solving really unique and, and, and novel uh, problems in computer science that really only exist in, in, in a place like Ethereum or, or a decentralized application platform.
Yeah, no, that's that that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, like the potential to make a, a big impact with something that's that's so new as Ethereum and 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 also that has the like the ambition of of being just like the base layer of of everything of like a new internet. Um that that is like pretty compelling. Um good selling point. <laughs> um so okay, so then um from kind of that time in prismatic labs to there like what how how has the eth2 um uh roadmap uh evolved because there, there's been so many changes along the way on how eth2 looks like and like when it will be shipped and like all the different phases um so i i guess like it, it's it would be a lot to just like uh digs digs very deeply into like all the transitions but maybe like if you can go through kind of like in in broad uh strokes kind of what the the idea was back then and where we are now okay sure so um i'm gonna try to remember all of it as best i can because it's 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 changed so many times in the last mm -hmm. three years but when we started uh proof of stake was actually on the on the cusp of be becoming its own thing, right? There was an early test nets with Casper, um, and that was actually getting ready ready to launch uh, independent of of sharding. Um, so the early designs were really sharding only, and then we were finding that a lot of the design patterns were were shared with the Casper um, proof of stake that uh, existed at the time. So those things started to merge. I think that was the first complete rewrite of the spec. And then we've had a couple more iterations of, of the spec where we had to start over from scratch with, with Prismatic. At, at Prismatic, we were always trying to stay ahead of ahead of the curve. And a few times that meant that we had to rewrite everything. So yeah, it's changed a couple of times since then. When we launched mainnet, um, the beacon chain in December, we had really three distinct phases. And then a fourth one was added. Uh, those were phase zero being the beacon chain, phase one being introducing the shards as like a data layer. Then phase two being state execution within the shards. And then we inserted a fourth thing called phase one, 1 1.5, which was, okay, let's merge ETH1 and ETH2 before we get to phase two. And then the most recent update is, 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 is we said, you know what, we're not going to call them phases anymore because we keep changing things, right? Uh, we're not going to call them phases anymore. They're just, they're just uh, because they really could be done in, in any, any order and they're kind of independent. But now what we have is we have, we have the first part, which is Beacon Chain. We have the merge, which is, which is the big thing coming this year. We have the introduction of the shards as a data layer. And then we have this optional thing where we could we could add the state execution and have each of the shards operate as its own independent kind of Ethereum space. But we're thinking that now with the some of the recent breakthroughs in layer two scaling that would leverage the security of of ETH2 or Ethereum rather, we may not need that anymore. We can we can commit these uh, connections between layer one and layer two with just the data layer of sharding and still get the uh, incredible throughput that's required without having to go through even further um, ETH2 development. Okay, wow. Um, definitely want to dig into that last part, but just, you know, <laughs> yeah. because I know that as my, my listeners are, uh, I have like a, a great mix of people listening to the podcast, like some are like complete newcomers, some are really deep into the space. So um, breaking it down a little bit. Um, so of course, ETH is transitioning into um, ETH2, which uh, now has uh, a, a a new consensus mechanism called proof of stake um, that's a lot less energy intensive compared to uh, proof of work um, and uh, hopefully more decentralized because anyone can participate just by holding ETH in the network rather than by running like these crazy uh, mining rigs. Um, 
And so that's already out there. That's already launched, which is, you know, a pretty big deal uh, launched in, in December. You can already stake your ETH. Um, and so what's what's happening, like the, this merge step is bringing kind of the at like the um, current ETH1 chain, like the application layer and having that merged with the proof of stake chain and have kind of this new consensus like base layer. Is that is that kind of the right way to explain it? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. The okay. big thing is getting rid of proof of work. It's it's expensive. It's difficult to do. If you're not on the forefront of um, ASIC te technology, you're at a huge disadvantage. With proof of stake, everyone has kind of a level playing field. If you can get, if you can stake ETH, you, you can do it with any hardware. That's the exciting part. Right. Okay. And then, so um, I recently interviewed uh, Vitalik for uh, the Ethereal conference, and he was pretty optimistic on like when the merge uh, would happen. He was saying end of the year. Um, optimistically, but like at the latest, a beginning of next year. Is, is that kind of what, what you're seeing as well? Yeah, I, I think that's a really fair assessment, given that there are test nets happening today. Uh, it's it, This is May of 2021 right now, and we've had already a few small test nets and they're getting bigger uh, in an effort called Rayanism, which is kind of a, a multi a uh, month-long hackathon between ETH2 client developers where we're actually testing the merge out. And given uh, some of the history from launching the Beacon Chain, I would say that that we're uh, about six months away if if everything goes well. And that's that's uh, a big if, you know, this is, this is computer science and and uh, software development. So things could, could be, could be different, but I would say six months plus or minus uh, two months on that. Mm. Um, and so effectively, like what what would that mean? Um, so like what would happen to like all the proof of work miners? Like and like, how do you just like switch uh, the consensus mechanism? Yeah, that's that's the uh, the tricky part. I mean, the uh, technical details are, are, are there in the spec. Um, and I'd have to refer to it to explain exactly how it works. But the gist of it is that at a certain point in time, um, ETH1 uh, or Ethereum as we know it today has a, a, a block that we're going to consider to be the transition point from, from the current proof of work mechanism to, to proof of stake. And uh, there's there's this concept of like a difficulty bomb. And I, and I believe that has something to do with uh, the upgrade module where if if miners were to continue mining that chain, well, it would just become exponentially more difficult to do so to the point that it's not profitable and that that chain kind of just dies off. That's mm. always been the plan with the difficulty bomb is that we need to switch over to proof of stake at some point. So let's kind of have this ticking time bomb, you know, difficulty bomb to to get it done. It's been pushed back several times, but this this merge is the effort to to finally switch to proof of stake. Mm, okay. So then mining becomes unprofitable for proof of work miners. And then um like the application layer connects with like the proof of stake chain somehow. Yeah. So um it, they're, they're, it, it really won't feel that different for the application layer. Mm. You can you can think of ETH1 or Ethereum as it is now it, continuing in its current state, but instead of proof of work miners producing those blocks, it will be a tightly coupled connection between the beacon chain. Mm. So we really have still beacon chain and ETH1 running right next to each other in, in, in uh, tight coordination um, so you're still interacting with your, you know, favorite Ethereum client if you're using Go Ethereum or Open Ethereum or or whatever you're using today. Yeah, it's going to be the same when the merge happens. You're just going to see a, a, um, blocks being produced by stakers or validators rather than um, mining pools or proof of work mining organizations. Got it. Um, okay, and then the next step will be sharding. Um, which 
yeah, maybe you can kind of explain what, I mean, yeah, like what the basics of that is. Yeah, the, the idea behind sharding is to, uh, well, in computer science, we have this concept of horizontal scaling, right? When you have a single machine that is no longer able to process the throughput that you need or the capacity that you need, you add another one, your second computer or machine, and then you have two times your capacity, right? Uh, in this case, we're talking about storage. So you could imagine that if we have one hard drive, we add another one and so on. Well, in this case, we're gonna add 64 of them. And the, the machine that controls all of that is the beacon chain itself. So when things are um, written to each of these shards, it's um, checkpointed or, or committed in some way to the beacon chain, which is where all the validators are doing the proof of stake work. The validators are also responsible for validating the shard chains, but an individual validator won't need to validate all 64 shards. They will only be validating a small subset of the shards at any given time. So um, that's kind of the gist of it. It's 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 a adding a, a additional data layers to to the ETH two. And would and, and the goal of that is increasing scalability for Ethereum. Basically, increasing like the throughput. That's exactly right. Yes. Um, and so, what was so? So that's after the merge. Sharding is uh, kind of the next step. And then you were mentioning there was this kind of optional, um, additional step. Can Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, for I guess the original idea with this was called phase two, which is. Okay, now that we've set up these 64 uh, platforms with storage later, uh, layers, now we can start doing meaningful state execution. So those layers will have a state, a world state, they will have accounts and balances and contracts and, and all of these kinds of things. Um, and the idea there was, okay, well, if we create all of these new independent machines, 64 of them, we could, in theory, process 64 times the throughput. Um, the idea there being that there's a little bit of overhead between cross-shard communication if you're transacting between shards, and it gets a little bit complicated there. Um, but now we're more towards leaning that if, and it's kind of a big if, is that if, if these layer two technologies enable us to get um, are able to leverage the shard capacity, the data capacity there to achieve this uh, incredible throughput, then we may not need to go through all the effort of adding um, more state execution modules and things like that with, with the ETH2 core protocol. So it would be like, you, you'd be using things like Optimism, say, um, like the different rollups solutions, um, to have that kind of be the, the place where uh, Ethereum applications are running, and and then they can like maybe uh, use like leverage shards um, as well, but it isn't kind of the shards themselves, the ones that are hosting these applications. Yes, that's that's right for the most part. I mean. The, the shards will be hosting the data or maybe that's the storage, but the execution mm. part perhaps happens off chain in some, in some layer two, which oh, maybe, okay. maybe that's optimism uh, or, or ZK rollups or something like that. Mm. Uh, it's, it's still, you know, kind of being defined and, and I'm certainly not on the forefront of that research, but that's my understanding today is that, we may not need to go through all this effort if there's already some better solution out there that we can just, you know, leverage in that in that way. Okay, that's that's really interesting. I imagine it'd be like this, like multi-layer system. Then, like you have like the consensus layer, like proof of stake um, chain. Then you'd have shards um, to scale kind of storage uh, capacity. And then on top of that, you'd have the, like layer two, but maybe in this case, it would even be layer three, 
where you have kind of the execution environment. Um, and it's like all these, I guess, different pieces working together to sustain this incredibly kind of active Ethereum environment. Yeah, that sounds right. And, and you know, we, we're thinking about these layers, but if you look at the, 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 all the layers that go into the internet itself, um, there are, are many layers there. So hmm. thinking that Ethereum is only three layers deep is, is actually not too bad. So hmm. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that new model. Interesting. Um, yeah, that's a good way to look at it because I was, I was going to, to follow that up with um, how this kind of more complicated system uh, compares with um, like some of the competing layer ones. Uh, like, do you think that they they might have an advantage uh, over Ethereum uh, by just like coming out of the box with uh, like technology that is able to scale without all these kind of different um, additional uh, layers or technologies. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, Ethereum is at a slight disadvantage or maybe a major disadvantage is that we have to consider that it's already out there running and we need to have a migration path and, and it makes things a lot more difficult because, you know, with, with blockchain technology, it's really hard to undo mistakes, especially, ones that are at the protocol level. So it's it other chains that are developing similar technology or, or let's say they were developing exactly the same idea, they're at an advantage because they can deploy it right away. Mm. However, Ethereum has this um, incredible momentum, right? Everyone's really on Ethereum, all the major, all the major DeFi protocols that, 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 that I see people talking about they're on Ethereum first, and maybe they go to other chains, uh, cross-chain kind of uh, interaction. But it seems like um, it would be really hard to build the community that Ethereum has faster than Ethereum can uh, continue to grow and roll out these uh, critical upgrades to the network. Yeah, I think I, that's that's kind of been um, the the most bullish thing for for Ethereum. I, I think at least this year is that, in spite kind of all the the scaling issues with with ETH one and like really you know super high fees. You know, high fees are high for a reason. It's because of all the demand uh, to use Ethereum, even as other uh, layer one chains are are launching and promising so much better uh, throughput. Um, in the end, yeah, like everyone is on Ethereum and it's just really hard to kind of get that, that sort of community and activity and just like money Legos connecting together. Um, yeah. Uh, so it was, um, it was a huge, like first mover advantage, uh, for, for Ethereum to be like the actual, like first, uh, smart contract chain. Um, so, okay. Now, um, I'm like really curious to hear how all this kind of amazing, just like foundational work that you're doing with Prismatic Labs, how are you able to uh, find the time to like work on another project? <laughs> and I'd love to hear how, how uh, Cryptex came about. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think that it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a lack of sleep and mm -hmm. a little bit of, of quarantine, um, I don't know, I'm very antsy. I wanna be doing something all the time. And they're in a time when we're all staying home more and have less to do in the real world, it seems like a great opportunity to focus my idle energy on, on another project that I believe can have a significant impact. Um, so I first met uh, Joe Sticko, who's, who's the um, original idea guy behind uh, Cryptex and the total market cap token. And we had met in between the YOLO tweet and my exit at Google. So we 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 met along that time and, and he was telling me that he has this idea for, for a token, some kind of ERC-20 token where the price is, is directly correlated with the total market cap of all cryptocurrencies, all thousands of them, you know? And it's I, I thought, okay, that's a really cool idea. 
you know, it, it would be great for retail investors. It's, it's kind of the S and P of crypto where you can buy into this one thing and get exposure to everything. So you don't really have to go unicorn hunting. You can, you know, if Dogecoin goes way up and you were holding it, but you were holding some, some index where well, you get a, a little bit of the gains there. Um, but uh, Joe had this idea, but he didn't really have a solution for it. He just said, I see a, a gap in the market of, of some, a product that could exist, but I don't know how to do it. And I thought it wouldn't work, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. I thought, you know, why can't I stop thinking about this? Like I have a lot of cool stuff going on, but I cannot stop thinking about this total market cap thing. And over two years, we've been going back and forth, just occasional phone calls, emails, not really committing a lot of time to it. ETH2 had been my biggest focus, um, especially when I was at Google, I would be waking up early before going to work to work on Prismatic Labs, go to work, come home, work some more, eat some food, go to sleep, and the next day was the same. Um, I didn't really have time for another project, but as as after I uh, left Google and after after um, E2 had launched in December, a little bit more time to focus on this. So um, kind of used the same strategy that I had when I was at Google, which is just very carefully focus your time and energy and your sleeping pattern and making sure that you're first of all taking care of yourself, but finding this balance of, you know, what is the limit of, of burnout and not getting burnout. Um, so we were able to, to design the total market cap token and have um, Chris Espinoza as a, a smart contract developer uh, do most of the development on that. And then we had it, you know, audited by, by Quantstamp and we were able to launch it um, this April of 2021. I was on mute. Um, so why, um, why did you initially think it, it couldn't work? Well, it, it's, it's an index of everything and, and you can't, really hold everything right you can't i my immediate like idea was like okay so it's like a basket and you want to have a thousand cryptocurrencies in it or more but some of those see it's like very difficult to get and it's just it just seemed really complicated and he and he and and joe's more of like a finance guy and not really a technical guy so it's just like i i don't know i don't i don't i don't know about this idea it's a little bit crazy but we were able to come up with with a solution that that kind of makes sense. So I'll explain how how TCAP comes into existence. Mm -hmm. um, it 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 is a crypto collateralized synthetic asset. So the the price of total market cap. Let's say that let's say the total market cap is two point four trillion dollars. Um, we basically divide that number by 10 billion to come up with a number $240. And that's the price of total market cap, right? That's what it's supposed to be. Um, but the way we do this is that we, we use a collateralization method where we back it by something with, with real value. So in, in this case, we have allowed TCAP to be backed by ETH or DAI, uh, the DAI stablecoin. And it's over collateralized by 200%. So you need, uh, for every dollar in TCAP that, that you create or exist, there's $2 that back it at a minimum. And with this, we're, you know, we're kind of ensured that, all right, well, we're not just making up money, right? There's something that's backing it. It can be redeemed for that backing collateral at any time by one of the, the vault owners. And it really borrows some of the ideas from early MakerDAO CDP vaults or collateralized debt position vaults. You lock up some collateral, you draw out TCAP, uh, which you can freely do whatever with, you still owe some TCAP back to your vault uh, and you'd want to pay that back at a later date to, to be able to draw out your collateral. So why would you want to do this? 
you know, besides, um, besides, so if you'd want to do this because you may be long on ETH relative to the total market cap, right? So I can borrow total market cap token by creating into existence and then I can sell it right away for, for, for ETH. Um, and then later, as the price of ETH rises relative to the total market cap, I can go buy those back at a later date, kind of at a discount. And then ideally, if I was correct, then I had paid my debt back in TCAP and I have ETH, extra ETH left over. The other opportunities that these assets, the total market cap trades on secondary markets where there isn't a true price you know, provided by some Oracle. There isn't a true price that kind of fluctuates based on uh, human behavior. So you'll see that maybe TCAP is trading too high, right? People are buying it up, it's a bull market. The true price is 240, but it's trading on SushiSwap at 280. Well, there's a $40, right away, a $40 uh, value capture if you're able to sell the TCAP at the higher price and then it, it drifts, drifts back to its, its uh, pegged price and you're able to, to then uh, pay back your debt later, uh, realizing a, a basically a $40 gain on those uh, TCAPs that you sold. So that's kind of how TCAP comes, in, comes into existence and, and, and why it's not really uh, this like funny money thing, it actually has something backing it. Um, oh, that's interesting. So it it uh, it offers besides the the um, ability to um, hold this kind of index fund of like crypto. It also by minting it allows you to effectively go long ETH versus the rest of crypto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's 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 the use case for being um, a vault owner or kind of minting TCAP into existence. Mm. If, if you're somebody who's um, long on all of cryptos, you just, you just buy it up in the secondary market. That's really right. the primary use case. But we, we have these basically engaged individuals who want to enable the protocol to do this. And there's also a little bit of money to be made that if, if the secondary market's trading differently than, than what it's supposed to be, you're able to, essentially close that gap right um and so how do you how do you maintain the the like the price of the token yeah, yeah exactly so we the 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 vaults have a true price right that that is derived from the total market cap and this value comes from a set of on-chain oracles these happen to be powered by chainlink we have five sources of data they come from, and I can never remember them off the top of my head. It's like CoinGecko, mm. uh, CoinMarketCap, and, and uh, Nomics, and a few other ones. And that is committed on-chain by nine individual uh, Oracle operators. And we take the median value of that, and that's the true price that we consider for the total market cap. Okay, okay. So, like... Uh, CoinGecko, CoinMarketCap, Nomics, like all these sources, they are reporting, say, uh, 2.4 trillion um, is the total crypto market cap. Um, Oracles get that, uh, commit that on chain, and then that kind of communicates to the token. And that's kind of what set the price, sets the price of the token. But that's kind of divided by um, what, what did you like? It, because the token, the token's price isn't actually two point four trillion, right? It's like right. two forty or something. So exactly. it, it would be like that divided by hundred billion or something. Ex yeah, exactly right. It's uh, it's divided by ten billion. We call that the divisor, and that makes uh, TCAP a more digestible price. If uh, if if TCAP was literally uh, the price of the total market being two point four trillion, nobody could ever own the whole thing or even even close to that, it would be such a small value. It'd be kind of silly to think about, but mm -hmm. we can really reason about it. If it's $240, it's a really easy digestible number. And when we started this, it was like $30 or something like that. Wow. We started talking about it. So <laughs> it's come crazy. quite a long way. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the other option I saw on, on the website is uh, to uh, farm on, on TCAP. And, and we had um, uh, a, a 
uh, tutorial on the defined as well and how how to do that. So you can uh, go check that out. But if if you can uh, talk about that as well. Yeah. So the the goal with Cryptex is that we wanted to launch this thing and do it in true, you know, decentralized fashion. We wanted it to be mm -hmm. trust minimalized. We wanted to 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 be decentralized, and we wanted to be an, an open organization, right? So. TCAP launched with a with the Cryptex DAO. So um, we have um, a, a DAO voting token called CTX or Cryptex. And this, this gives you basically voting rights for governance proposals um, to make decisions within the DAO. So the, the Cryptex protocol is run by community members. The, CTX or Cryptex tokens are distributed to community members through various incentives. Um, at the moment, we have incentive programs with SushiSwap, where if you provide liquidity of TCAP and ETH on SushiSwap and stake those liquidity positions with the Cryptex protocol, you're earning CTX, uh, and at the time of recording, this is about 60% APY for ETH and TCAP. And there's a second program where if you then take those rewards that you've earned and put those towards the liquidity pool for CTX and ETH, you can stake those and be earning as much as 250% uh, APY. And those APYs are paid out in, in Cryptex, as some of them vest uh, towards the end of the incentive programs, which run about six months. Uh, and the goal there is to reward people for providing liquidity and making TCAP accessible for, for those who want to buy on the secondary market, but also you know, to distribute these voting rights and really build the community. We want people to, to help run cryptex it's not run by the cryptex team we did build the original stuff and we have a lot of really exciting ideas coming out but ultimately it's an open organization and we want the community to be the community to be as involved as possible so like what kind of governance decisions can token holders make so token holders can influence any changeable aspect of the uh, system so Let's say, for example, the collateralization ratio is currently 200% for ETH faults. Um, we have a proposal up on the forums, so like a non-committal proposal, where we're suggesting, should we lower this to 150%, meaning that you're able to draw out more TCAP for your, for your um, collateral. And since ETH and TCAP move pretty similar, It's it, you're not gonna see one significantly drop without the other also dropping, they kind of move or, or rise rather, they move in the same direction. So maybe it's, we don't need as much of a safety margin, but mm. um, that's one thing we're voting on. Other things we could consider are what should the next incentive programs be? Um, you know, we want to, the Cryptex uh, development team has some ideas of um, upgrading the vaults to make them more um, efficient, uh, more useful, uh, more interesting. And we also have ideas for other types of products that can leverage the same, the same framework that we've built with TCAP. So other synthetic assets that are, that are, that are built uh, with some Oracle prize, have true price, and then are collateralized um, in some kind of vault. So you're, you're considering making other uh, indices? like tokenized indices yeah that's right yeah that's that's the idea uh i i can't really reveal anything just yet uh <laughs> but that's kind of the idea is we know that there are a lot of really interesting things out there that people want to get exposure to maybe that's uh uh because they're interested in like a, sort of a long-term bet or maybe they really just want to gamble with some short-term uh, aspect of something in the blockchain. But I can say that we have several ideas we're working on and we're, we're working on, on fleshing out a formal roadmap. Uh, those those ideas for, second, for the second, third, fourth, fifth product will be coming out uh, in the near future. 
um, yeah, the Cryptex development team has a lot of cool, cool ideas in the works. Nice. Um, and then do token holders get a percentage of like trading fees? Like how, how does, uh, like the development team token holders, uh, make, uh, make money from this? Yeah. So in the current vault design, there's a flat fee for, for, uh, uh, for burning TCAP. And that's one uh, 1% of the value, uh, paid in ETH and those fees go directly to the DAO's treasury. Hmm. So if you think about it in that way that the token holders own the, the DAO and the DAO owns hmm. the treasury, they're getting paid in that manner. And those fees can be used for, for a number of things. Um, and I haven't looked in a little while, but the fees earned so far are something like uh, three quarters of a million dollars already since, hmm. since April. So. Uh, it's not a small amount of money um, for something that's still in its early phases. So, yeah, definitely CTX holders are are at an advantage by by being able to to direct what should we do or what should be done with with those funds uh, that are improving the best interest of the protocol. Very cool. Um, how much TVL do you have? Uh, let's see. So we. We did, when we launched this uh, in uh, early April, it it peaked out at almost $100 million of TVL. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, with uh, the some incentive, early incentive programs have ended and, and, you know, the price of ETH is going a little crazy. I think it's around 30 million or, or maybe a bit lower, around 15 million. I, I don't recall at mm-hmm. the moment, but... Um, it's definitely at its earliest stages, so uh, we're 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 not too focused on TVL. What we're really focused on are are the number of holders of of TCAP um, and driving uh, bringing more liquidity to the program, and really trying to you know the end goal here is to make this accessible to everyone, so that mm. your retail investors. Um, who, people who are interested in buying the cryptocurrencies, but they don't know the difference between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, so they buy both. But really, they only were interested in in, in Ethereum. They just say, I know Ethereum, I know cryptos, I want to buy into that. That's really sort of what TCAP is supposed to solve, is help those kind of people get exposure to, to everything. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, so, I mean... If- Right now, like I guess, like the main thing preventing um, more people becoming in- involved is just like the, the gas fees. Did you um, consider uh, like going to layer two, or, or like how are you thinking about that problem? Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it is kind of yeah, like all of your job is thinking yes. about that problem, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for cryptex. I uh, I will say these gas fees are they suck and mm. I'm sorry it's taking so long with E2 but we're going to do it right and E2 is going to help with the gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, we are we are kind of thinking about, you know, what can we do to make this a, a, a little bit more enjoyable and, and less expensive. So layer two, uh, certainly something we're looking at. I think um, Polygon's a good solution. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of big projects are going there. Um, and, and yeah, like gas is like 400 Gwei right now. And with ETH reaching all time highs, like just creating a vault without having done anything yet, is just, it's too expensive. Even mm. swaps, if you wanted to buy a hundred, $200 worth of Cryptex or, or, or TCAP, you're spending almost an equal amount in gas. So it's it's kind of a difficult time for, for DAP developers or DeFi developers. Um, and we're all kind of going through this learning process of how do we um, get more users and how do we uh, make it more interesting for them without having to pay so much for gas. So hmm. um, we don't have anything in progress yet, but it's something we're really thinking about um, we did have like a, a time last week where gas went back down to like $30, $40. And we we're like, oh, it's over. It's mm-hmm. over. But then uh, I don't know what's going on. Some some meme tokens are launching and now it's 400, 400 Gwei. Um, 
so yeah, the, the, the gas, yeah, we're really feeling the gas problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I also thought like, oh my God. Yeah. Like <laughs> Ethereum is back. Um, yeah. now it's like worse than ever. <laughs> it's, um, it's so crazy. Cause I remember a time when I refused to pay more than 10 guay for a transaction and I'm looking back and I was like, oh, here's one where I paid 1.15. And I thought that was like a pretty good deal. And now I'm like, oh, if it's, if it's under 100, 100 away, I'm going to do it. It's, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also, you know, wanted to ask you, um, like this, uh, like DeFi cycle has brought on, I, I think like one of the, the main innovations has been these liquidity incentives and, and you're like using them as well for uh, Cryptex and, and, and TCAP. Um, would love to kind of hear your like findings on, on that. Like, how do you think liquidity mining um, and like yield farming will uh, evolve? Like, is it here to stay or like, yeah, like what are your initial insights? So as a, a DeFi developer, I'm we're, we're, we're trying to figure out the right pieces of game theory to, to make this work because in the end, it all relies on human behavior, right? Mm -hmm. um, we have developed this thing, which has a price, but, but someone has to be willing to lock up this collateral and, and there has to be some incentives to do that. So... Liquidity providing, liquidity is very valuable to a DeFi project. It helps people, you know, get a piece of it without uh, incurring a lot of slippage and uh, getting, getting the appropriate rate for something they're buying. But what's really been interesting is, is the launch of Uniswap's V3 model of liquidity where you can have a uh, focused collateral, or sorry, focused capital around a certain price. And when it comes to some thing like TCAP where it's supposed to have a certain price, that makes a uh, million dollars of liquidity go a lot farther if it's focused mm -hmm. around a narrow band around that price. So at, at Cryptex, we're really trying to figure out how can we leverage this new model of Uniswap where we say, all right, we want to provide incentives for liquidity and encourage people to have the the most narrow and efficient band that makes that is practical to keep TCAP around its true price, uh, the Oracle price. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, you know we're trying to solve this problem. I'm sure other projects are trying to solve this problem. And I think that if if Uniswap v3 becomes the new standard as Uniswap v2 became the standard, then it's going to really revolutionize revolutionize how any any price pegged token, any any stable coin is, is going to work and 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 do with uh, you know yield farming, liquidity providing. Hmm. Is is the idea there that you can still uh, incentivize liquidity, but um, the amount of like capital required to achieve like the same volume or like stability? Um, it's much less. So you can do a lot more with like less capital? Uh, kind of. So so with the Uniswap V3 model, you can you can deploy, let's just say a million dollars of, of capital in, in, and let's say TCAP is 240. I can put it between 230 and 250, meaning that if, if you wanted to, and if that was the, all the capital that was there, if you wanted to drive the price down, below 230 you'd have to eat up all that liquidity where if i had put in a million dollars liquidity in ethan tcap uh the it would be a lot easier to go lower than than 230 because i don't i'd only need a, a portion of of those funds to to move the price so what you get out of this is that i put up the same amount of collateral but i made it harder for the price to move which mm -hmm. means that people who want to buy it are going to be able to get it at the correct price, and and it makes it a lot easier for a stable coin. And if you think about TCAP as a stable coin, it's stable relative to the total market. It's supposed to stay with that total market. It should make it easier for it to stay closer to that price. Now the the problem is 
okay, well, we can tell tell people, say, please go do this, but without some kind of incentives and with gas fees being the way they are, it has to be somewhat profitable or a, or, or uh, a light at the end of the tunnel that'll be profitable beyond just the swap fees. So mm. trying to figure out what's a good liquidity um, incentive program on top of V3, it's a, kind of a cool new challenge in DeFi space, I think. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the fact that LP tokens are, are now NFTs also kind of like makes everything different. It'll be really, yeah, interesting to see how that um, the whole space and, and just like framework evolves. Yep. Yeah. It was easy when they're all fungible. You say, put your LP tokens here and I count how many LP tokens did you have over a certain amount of time staked. And I can calculate rewards based on that. But when it comes to this NFT and different uh, capital uh, uh, efficiency model, it's 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 a lot trickier. So another cool problem to solve. That's why yeah. I like working on this stuff. <laughs> so many, so many like complexities, but yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, yeah. Okay, we're 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 like. Oh already at the hour, but um, just wanted to get your like big picture uh, thoughts to to um, end uh, this on, um, I guess on on Ethereum, uh, since, you know, you've, you've been kind of at the core of, of Ethereum uh, for years now. What what do you see uh, this this network achieving in, in the long run? Like what's what's kind of the um, the the end end goal uh do you think like if if i don't know 10 years from now um if like ethereum made it and it's successful what does that look like to you yeah the 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 end goal is that we want to make ethereum a thing right like right now some people know about it and they think of it as like a highly speculative asset and like it, it's it's not for me I, I don't know what it is it's a little tricky and and there aren't really a lot of use cases outside of of, of DeFi and a few like uh, blockchain specific programs, but what it could be is something that we all all use and all have, and it's accessible just like of uh, a Visa card or Mastercard or some kind of physical payment, you know, transacting. Before those things came out, it, uh, which came out slowly, you know, it was it was a very different world, and I think that we're in that different world now, and when Ethereum reaches its potential to be a truly global platform for decentralized applications. That's when when we've uh, achieved, you know, the final stages, and that's when we know that Ethereum has made it. I think that hmm. we're still super early. There are a lot of interesting problems to solve, uh, both in the DeFi space at the application layer, but at the protocol layer as well. There's just like being someone who's interested in, in computer science problems, it's just a, a very fascinating world. And I would say that if if you're thinking about um, a switch in careers and 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 you're tech oriented or even not tech oriented, there's a lot of things you can do. Definitely think about it for a long time, right? Like you know, work on it in your spare time if you can. Really get involved and and see where that um, initial curiosity will take you. Because for some people, like myself, it took me all the way. It changed my life. You know, I'm here working on full time. It's all I ever think about. It's all I ever do. And it wasn't ever and still really isn't about making a lot of money. It's about changing the world. So nice. I, yeah. I like that. I like that way to end things. Yeah. Um, and same here, by the way. I also went full into this stuff. And yeah, can't can't stop <laughs> thinking yep, yep. about it. Um <laughs> Great, uh, Preston, thank you so much. This was such an interesting conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, happy to be here. Nice to see you again. We're on Zoom chat and, and I know this is audio, but it's just great to, to connect. It's been a long time. Yeah, all right, <laughs> thanks again. See ya. And before we close, here's another word about our awesome sponsors. Experience DeFi. Deposit, earn, and borrow on Aave. Aave is a decentralized, open-source, and non-custodial liquidity protocol to earn interest on deposits and borrow assets. Deposit and start earning interest in real-time directly in your wallet, 
and swap any of your deposited assets at any time to get some of the best deals on the market. Other protocol liquidity pools are now available on Ethereum and on the sidechain Polygon. Head over to app.ave.com to get started today. Ensign provides an easy way to build, scale, and monetize DeFi investment strategies. If high gas prices are shutting you out of DeFi, fear not. Ensign is now running a gas subsidy program. The app makes it easy for investors to pull together on strategies lowering costs. The Ensign interface allows anyone to trade, lend, deposit to AMM pools, farm, stake, and more. It is a non-custodial solution and allows for real-time reporting, security, and transparency. Sign up today on Enzyme.finance. Don't let high gas costs keep you out of Ethereum. At Balancer, you can trade all you want and get most of the gas costs back in your pocket. In their new Bal for Gas campaign, traders are receiving six figures worth of Bal tokens every week. And with V2 just around the corner, Balancer is becoming the one-stop shop for DeFi liquidity. Balancer V2 brings stable pools and weighted pools tightly integrated under a single protocol, flash loans, lending via asset managers, and much more. Check it out at balancer.finance. Check out Kraken, where you can earn additional rewards by staking some of your favorite DeFi assets. With more than 1 billion in crypto staked, including 350,000 ETH, Kraken has paid out 27 million worth of rewards to their clients. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% annually. Sign up today at kraken.com and start earning some of the most popular DeFi assets, including Polkadot, Uniswap, Aave, and more. Kyber's Dynamic Market Maker, or DMM, is the first decentralized exchange designed to react to market conditions to optimize fees, maximize returns, and provide extremely high capital efficiency for liquidity providers. It aims to be a game changer for DeFi. Depositing tokens to earn fees is also fast and simple with this liquidity easily accessible by dApps, aggregators, or other users. Visit dmm.exchange now. I'll continue to interview all the major founders and influencers in this emerging space. When DeFi eats the world, you can say you heard them here first. Tune in next week.